Chapter Seven, Part One of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness Orzy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Christmas Tragedy, Part One. It was a fairly merry Christmas party, although the surliness of our host somewhat marred the festivities. But imagine two such beautiful young women as my own dear lady and Margaret Seeley and a Christmas Eve Cinderella in the beautiful ballroom at Clavier Hall, and you will understand that even Major Seeley's well-known cantankerous temper could not altogether spoil the merriment of a good old-fashioned festive gathering. It is a far cry from a Christmas Eve party to a series of cattle-maiming outrages, yet I am forced to mention these now, for although they were ultimately proved to have no connection with the murder of the unfortunate Major, yet they were undoubtedly the means whereby the miscreant was enabled to accomplish the horrible deed with surety, swiftness, and, as it turned out afterwards, a very grave chance of immunity. Everyone in the neighborhood had been taking the keenest possible interest in those dastardly outrages against innocent animals. They were either the work of desperate ruffians who stick at nothing in order to obtain a few shillings, or else of madmen with weird propensities for purposeless crimes. Once or twice suspicious characters had been seen lurking about in the fields, and on more than one occasion a cart was heard in the middle of the night, driving away at furious speed. Whenever this occurred, the discovery of a fresh outrage was sure to follow. But so far, the miscreants had succeeded in baffling not only the police, but also the many farmhands who had formed themselves into a band of volunteer watchmen, determined to bring the cattle maimers to justice. We had all been talking about these mysterious events during the dinner which preceded the dance at Clavier Hall. But later on, when the young people had assembled, and when the first strains of the Merry Widow Waltz had set us aglow with prospective enjoyment, the unpleasant topic was wholly forgotten. The guests went away early, Major Seely, as usual, doing nothing to detain them, and by midnight all of us who were staying in the house had gone up to bed. My dear lady and I shared a bedroom and dressing-room together, our windows giving on the front. Clavier Hall is, as you know, not very far from York, on the other side of Bishopthorpe, and is one of the finest old mansions in the neighborhood, its only disadvantage being that, in spite of the gardens being very extensive in the rear, the front of the house lies very near the road. It was about two hours after I had switched off the electric light and called out, Good night, to my dear lady, that something roused me out of my first sleep. Suddenly I felt very wide awake, and sat up in bed. Most unmistakably, though still from some considerable distance along the road, came the sound of a cart being driven at unusual speed. Evidently my dear lady was also awake. She jumped out of bed, and drawing aside the curtains, looked out of the window. The same idea had, of course, flashed upon us both at the very moment of waking. All the conversations anent the cattle-maimers and their cart, which we had heard since our arrival at Clavier, recurring to our minds simultaneously. I had joined Lady Molly beside the window, and I don't know how many minutes we remained there in observation, not more than two, probably, for anon the sound of the cart died away in the distance along a side road. Suddenly we were startled, with a terrible cry of, Murder! Help! Help! issuing from the other side of the house, followed by an awful, deadly silence. I stood there near the window, shivering with terror, while my dear lady, having already turned on the light, was hastily slipping into some clothes. The cry had, of course, aroused the entire household, but my dear lady was even then the first to get downstairs, and to reach the garden door at the back of the house, whence the weird and despairing cry had undoubtedly proceeded. 
That door was wide open. Two steps lead from it to the terraced walk which borders the house on that side, and along these steps Major Seeley was lying, face downwards, with arms outstretched, and a terrible wound between his shoulder blades. A gun was lying close by, his own. It was easy to conjecture that he, too, hearing the rumble of the wheels, had run out, gun in hand, meaning, no doubt, to effect, or at least to help, in the capture of the escaping criminals. Someone had been lying in wait for him. That was obvious. Someone who had perhaps waited and watched for this special opportunity for days, or even weeks, in order to catch the unfortunate man unawares. Well, it were useless to recapitulate all the various little incidents which occurred from the moment when Lady Molly and the butler first lifted the Major's lifeless body from the terrace steps, until that instant when Miss Seeley, with remarkable coolness and presence of mind, gave what details she could of the terrible event to the local police inspector and to the doctor, both hastily summoned. These little incidents, with but slight variations, occur in every instance when a crime has been committed. The broad facts alone are of weird and paramount interest. Major Seeley was dead. He had been stabbed with amazing sureness and terrible violence in the back. The weapon used must have been some sort of heavy clasp-knife. The murdered man was now lying in his own bedroom upstairs, even as the Christmas bells, on that cold, crisp morning, sent cheering echoes through the stillness of the air. We had, of course, left the house, as had all the other guests. Everyone felt the deepest possible sympathy for the beautiful young girl who had been so full of the joy of living but a few hours ago, and was now the pivot round which revolved the weird shadow of tragedy, of curious suspicions, and of an ever-growing mystery. But at such times all strangers, acquaintances, and even friends in a house are only an additional burden to an already overwhelming load of sorrow and of trouble. We took up our quarters at the Black Swan in York. The local superintendent, hearing that Lady Molly had been actually a guest at Clavere on the night of the murder, had asked her to remain in the neighborhood. There was no doubt that she could easily obtain the chief's consent to assist the local police in the elucidation of this extraordinary crime. At this time, both her reputation and her remarkable powers were at their zenith, and there was not a single member of the entire police force in the kingdom who would not have availed himself gladly of her help when confronted with a seemingly impenetrable mystery. That the murder of Major Seeley threatened to become such, no one could deny. In cases of this sort, when no robbery of any kind has accompanied the graver crime, it is the duty of the police, and also of the coroner, to try to find out, first and foremost, what possible motive there could be behind so cowardly an assault, and among motives, of course, deadly hatred, revenge, and animosity stand paramount. But here the police were at once confronted with the terrible difficulty, not of discovering whether Major Seeley had an enemy at all, but rather which, of all those people who owed him a grudge, hated him sufficiently to risk hanging for the sake of getting him out of the way. As a matter of fact, the unfortunate Major was one of those miserable people who seemed to live in a state of perpetual enmity with everything and everybody. Morning, noon, and night he grumbled, and when he did not grumble he quarreled, either with his own daughter, or with the people of his household, or with his neighbors. I had often heard about him and his eccentric disagreeable ways from Lady Molly, who had known him for many years. 
she like everybody in the county who otherwise would have shunned the old man kept a semblance of friendship with him for the sake of his daughter margaret seeley was a singularly beautiful girl and as the major was reputed to be very wealthy these two facts perhaps combined to prevent the irascible gentleman from living in quite so complete an isolation as he would have wished mammas of marriageable young men vied with one another in their welcome to miss seeley at garden parties dances and bazaars indeed margaret had been surrounded with admirers ever since she had come out of the schoolroom needless to say the cantankerous major received these pretenders to his daughter's hand not only with insolent disdain but at times even with violent opposition in spite of this the moth fluttered round the candle and amongst this venturesome tribe none stood out more prominently than mr lawrence smethick son of the m p for the pakethorpe division some folk there were who vowed that the young people were secretly engaged in spite of the fact that margaret was an outrageous flirt and openly encouraged more than one of her crowd of adorers be that as it may one thing was very certain namely that major seeley did not approve of mr smethick any more than he did of the others and there had been more than one quarrel between the young man and his prospective father-in-law on that memorable christmas eve at clavier none of us could fail to notice his absence whilst margaret on the other hand had shown marked predilection for the society of captain glynn who since the sudden death of his cousin viscount heslington lord ullisthorpe's only son who was killed in the hunting field last october if you remember had become heir to the earldom and its forty thousand pounds a year personally i strongly disapproved of margaret's behaviour the night of the dance her attitude with regard to mr smethick whose constant attendance on her had justified the rumour that they were engaged being more than callous on the morning of december twenty fourth christmas eve in fact the young man had called at clavier i remember seeing him just as he was being shown into the boudoir downstairs a few moments later the sound of angry voices rose with appalling distinctness from that room we all tried not to listen yet could not fail to hear major seeley's overbearing words of rudeness to the visitor who it seems had merely asked to see miss seeley and had been most unexpectedly confronted by the irascible and extremely disagreeable major of course the young man speedily lost his temper too and the whole incident ended with a very unpleasant quarrel between the two men in the hall and with the major peremptorily forbidding mr smethick ever to darken his doors again on that night major seeley was murdered end of part one of a christmas tragedy